This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Welcome to Spice Bags, and today we are talking about the fascinating subject that is bread. Now, bread for us, we realize, means a heck of a lot of different things. And even before COVID, there was this resurgence of bread baking, um, and you know, and now people are locked down. Everyone and their grandparents have a loaf in the oven, but bread goes back a long ways. And me, Blanca, and Dee have a really different experience of it. Also, like we probably want to talk about um, a recent snowstorm where there was no bread to be had in Ireland. <laughs> well, I think it's like that thing of when we were starting to talk about it, that bread is like, the, like we've done a few of these episodes now where we're doing the staple ingredients of our from our larders, right? Or like from our kitchens, like we did tea, we did soup. So now we're on to bread. I think bread's almost the ultimate staple ingredient. Um, it's funny that how during lockdown, people have bakeries are the one, the one kind of, you know, places that people are still taking that journey to because they want to get their loaf of bread or their sweet treats or whatever. But also people who can't go out are making the effort to make it at home. I'm kind of like, I don't know, for me, sourdough is a lot of work. I'm not saying that it's not manageable once you kind of understand it more and you get into the groove of making it. But I just love to go and buy it personally myself from a bakery. I just think a bakery will always do it better than me. So why would I try and do it myself? It's a very manly thing, though, to do your sourdough, isn't it? Like, I feel like men before even COVID, right? Like, we're all like, ooh, we're sourdough bros. We're going to ferment this thing and, like, make the house smell like yogurt. Mm. It does seem to be a gender thing, isn't it? around bread there is definitely I don't gender. think I think it's just that men um I've seen this before like men tend to do these things that are very complicated like they won't take out I don't know imagine like take out the trash but they'll make sourdough <laughs> or they'll get a green egg but they'll be baffled that you have a food processor and I think that men are fascinated with these complex recipes and you know of course before women were the ones who made these breads but as bread became industrialized and you needed a lot of strength or it became more like a bakery like where you needed industrial strength I think you know men kind of took over that role but I do find that bread porn I have to say I get so tired of bread porn on Instagram and we had um, an episode before where we poked fun of um, this cookbook that showed men making bread in these pits, these Basque um, <laughs> shepherds from Idaho. But I do love making simple breads, but I think like D, I go to, I have a local um, bakery here in Dunleary, Strudel. I think their breads are fantastic. So why am I going to make something extremely complicated? It's interesting though, when I was looking at the history of bread in Ireland and the, uh, that, that we now are fascinated with breads like, you know, sourdoughs and things like this. Um, cause the oldest record of bread in Ireland was actually a flatbread. Um, that dates back to the stone age. Um, and I think then it was after that, you know, with bread making kind of started to, the trend of that started to, to make its way across Europe. The Norman 
invasion here, they brought in uh, wheat. And so you had wheat and bread. And that's where kind of, you know, brown soda bread and stuff like that comes from today. But it's interesting that it started off with a flatbread. Or maybe that's just, it's not interesting. That's if you look historically at bread around the world, flatbreads were among the first breads that were made. Would that be fair to say? I think Blanca, I think also though, you pointed out um, the historian Margaret Hickey and uh, and that she pointed out that actually that whole idea of sourdough starter was something that was actually very fundamental to traditional Irish bread making back in the day. Like among, you know, it's like you put some grains in and you put some, you know, hot water and you'd let it sit. May, could we tell our listeners who Margaret Hickey is and about the book or do you want me to do it? I think you should do it. Well, um, a couple of years ago, I went to see um, a lady at the Immigration Museum talk about Irish food history. Um, She published a book called Ireland's Green Larder, and um, it's the definitive history of Irish food and drink. And I really enjoyed her presentation. She was able to concise a very long book, you know, into a half an hour presentation. And I learned so much about Irish food culture and how bake, baking was such an important of, important part of the culture. So we've been reading a little bit about her book uh, on the chapter, especially on bread. That was her homework or lockdown homework. And I have to say, I love um, Irish style breads, the soda breads, because they're easy to make in Ireland, not in Spain. And they're just, they're, they're, the texture is just so different and the, the flavor and they're just sweeter and, and you know, the crumb is different. So, um, do you make soda bread at home? Is that something that you would be into? Yeah. I mean, I actually, I don't personally just, I don't make a lot of bread. I just find (laughs) my problem with bread is that I eat so much of it when it's, especially when you freshly make it. I mean, there's nothing better than the smell of bread in a house. And I think I remember reading a consumer survey. This is going back when I was editing easy food magazine years ago, And a survey came out saying, what is, you know, what are our favorite smells? And I think freshly baked bread came up as number one as our favorite smell in a house, you know, that that's what people prefer the most. And I'm like that with with bread. I just eat so much of it. So, but I would make, if I am making bread like you, what we were saying, I make simple breads or what I call simple breads, which would be, you know, white soda bread, brown soda bread, um, and even flatbreads I make now as well. I grew up in in a house that basically there was always a Brennan's bread, um, white sliced loaf um, in the, in, that's what we, our daily bread was. And then on the weekends we would make maybe uh, brown bread, um, brown soda bread ourselves. And my sisters taught me how to do that. But the other thing is when you would go to events, I feel like weddings or somewhere like that where you would have to go to a hotel or something, you would, I just remember the bread basket being the most awful thing, but a bread basket down the country at a wedding or something would be like, you know, those kind of rolls that are basically like shells. And in the inside there's, you know, you get a hint of a soft sponge of bread, but it's not actually bread. I don't think it's actually bread. I don't know what it is, but they would just kind of dissolve as soon as you would try and open them or else they'd be like the day before they were made the day before and they'd be so hard. You could bounce them off a wall. <laughs> so bad. I think we've always talked about sort of what 
what foods in Ireland are purely Irish? And I think that bread is one of them. And I feel like even, even before I came here, Irish bread was fetishized. Mostly soda, but, you know, it was the, the thing that people desired, right? And, um, and it was really hard to duplicate outside of Ireland. And I think, Blanca, you mentioned that it's because of flour. Um, but it's just, um, you know, and, and, but that like wheaten brown bread that is, and it's, it's deeply Irish, it's it's deeply Irish and it it really defines like where wherever you go in Ireland you get that bread, whereas in a country like Spain the breads would be totally different and people would disagree about what is traditional Spanish bread, but here it's a defining characteristic and it's it's a bread that is so easy to make here, and I'm surprised more people don't make it. I'm surprised when um, my daughters always want Brennan's white bread in their lunchbox. <laughs> They always ask for that. And I'm like, no. And, you know, I always ask them, do people bring soda bread sandwiches? Because I sometimes I'll make them a soda bread sandwich. And they're like, no, no one brings it. Like when you look at the different breads that are around the country as well, um, like obviously you've got like potato farrels, you've got the boxty bread, you've got um, mm. the blah and Waterford. I mean, blahs are used quite a lot. Like that kind of soft, small Roll, White bread, yeah. uh, I should just explain what a blah is actually. Um, it's, it originates in Waterford and it was basically the in the 17th century, some of the Huguenots that came over, they set up a bakery and it kind of is like a bun. It's a white, floury, very soft bun uh, that's called the blah and it has a protective geographical indication or the state of it so it, it has to be you know it's renowned as being made from Waterford and um, but it's a beautiful soft bun I think that that would have been quite common as well people use those a lot for I'm sure like I'm sure kids in school as well like you said if you asked your daughters they would see those quicker than they would see soda bread they've never asked me for that they always ask and and it's like Brennan's the same way that in Spain we have a brand called Bimbo oh really and all the children <laughs> Yeah. May, I wanted to ask you, being Chinese American, um, and your family was originally from northern China, no? Yes. Tell us a little bit about the Chinese relationship to bread. Um, I think that a lot of people don't actually think that Chinese have a relationship to bread, but of course in the north, that's what we ate um because uh we had just so much wheat there. So it's all bread and noodles. Um, and, uh, and so, um, so we had, um, the original bread would have been called manto. Um, and I feel like you twisted girls would have loved the mythology behind the manto. It's manto means barbarian head. And so there was this general in, um, 220, uh, and, uh, and he was told, like he was supposed to move forward. This is the, during the three kingdoms. So legendarily, he was supposed to move forward. He was, um, to attack another territory. He was blocked by this raging river and the commander told him that in order to placate that river, he had to sacrifice 40 of his men and chop off their heads and throw them into the river. And Zhuge Liang, who was the general, was like, I'm not going to kill my men. So what he did was he slaughtered a bunch of livestock, minced up their meat, and um, and put the meat into these big head-sized dough balls and threw them into the river. And the river actually was placated. 
And that's where we get this mantou, which is the basic Chinese bread, which is fluffy and white and steamed. And it's delicious, I have to say. Did you get a lot of that in Dalian? I know, Blanca, you were in Dalian. I did eat a lot of uh, wheat and I was surprised no one ate rice. (laughs) But I think one of the most fascinating aspects about Chinese bread is the bread of the um, Xinjiang region, the Muslim breads. And there were quite a few um, plate markets that had a, a Muslim bread stall and it was a tandoor oven on wheels and they would make these beautiful, um, flatbreads called Nanbing, I think. Nanbing? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And they were beautiful. Yeah. Like (laughs) Nan bread. And they had all these different patterns and that to me, that was fascinating because obviously the, the Han Chinese just steam bread because the Chinese are more, energy efficient, I would say in their cooking, you know, a walk with all these, uh, steam baskets. And that's how you would make your bread. It's, you know, compared to the way we bake bread, it's, it's much more efficient. But I have to say, I adore bread from a tandoor. Like, it's just so beautiful, isn't it? And when, when you mention it, it's that kind of non Indian bread. Um, I mean, they have it in so many countries, but it's just so beautiful when it comes fresh out of there as well. It's definitely one of my favorites. But one thing, um, I think with steam bread, to me, just the purity, and I know these flours are completely (laughs) artificially whitened, but there's nothing more amazing than looking at a white Chinese bun and seeing something so pure. To me, it's just once, you know, the bread gets golden, it kind of changes. But I love those buns. And May knows that I've spent a lot of time perfecting my pleats on stuffing them with different things. Um, And of course, the bao burger comes from these breads. Um, also, but I would say that like growing up in America, I didn't grow up with a lot of breads because again, as we were saying, my grandmother, it's, they're so labor intensive. So when my family was in China and later in Taiwan, you would buy these from the peddlers, right? Um, when you, when you go to America and you don't have them readily available, you know, my grandparents are like, "Mm, this is going to be a once in a, you know, this is going to be a special occasion thing. So we did go back to rice, which was easier. And then every yep. now and then my grandfather and my grandmother would make a bow or something like that. But it's, you know, it's, it's so, it is. Um, and so those were treats for us as opposed to, I'd say like my aunts or my grandparents who would have just had that as a staple. And what are their staple American breads? I mean, you know, from like what, what would be, I mean, is it just like, is it a mix, a mix of just so many different cultural breads? No, we have, we have, it's, it's very regional, right? So, um, so I grew up on the East coast. I grew up in New York and Connecticut. And so for us, those staple breads would be the Jewish breads, right? It's like bagels, bialis and challah. Um, and then my mom grew up in the South, which I find is interesting because I think that there's some parallels between that and Irish breads because you have a lot of, um, Again, different grains, right? Um, so you have cornbread, which, um, you know, so because I feel like wheat, like that white wheat is is still for the rich, right? So it's cornbread and that's leavened with buttermilk and soda. Okay. Um, and I feel like that, you know, and, um, and also you have biscuits, uh, which are like scones. 
They are scones. Yeah. Well, and then, but we eat them, you know, in, I'm sorry. In the South, we eat them like, you know, with fried chicken. And so, and I know that like Irish people are totally appalled by this. Um, and, uh, and then in the West Coast, it's sourdough, which has now become really trendy. But, but sourdough was started um, in 1849 by this uh, place called Budan Bakery, which is still going on. Um, and they use the same starter that they use in 1849 when they were feeding the miners. I always think in New York, New York when I think about bagels. I just think... Bagels are just... And no one outside of New York can make a proper bagel. You know? And... Um, and uh, They are divine. They are absolutely divine. But then we also have Wonder Bread. <laughs> I know you guys are like, you know, making fun of Brennan's. But like, I suppose like Wonder Bread would be our equivalent to Brennan's. I think Brennan's is great. Wonder no, Bread Brennan's is, is great. Oh, I actually was just put that out there. Brennan's is great, but it's just that it is a it is a commercial bread. You know, it's, it's same with Johnson Mooney and O'Brien's or one of those. You know, but um, I think there are other versions. Uh, I don't want to say cheaper, but like there are other more com- commercial breads here that maybe don't even have a name to them. They're supermarket brand or something and they are bleached and I'd say that's more like Wonder Bread. Yeah, I mean but it's it was interesting too because Wonder Bread when it was uh marketed in 1921 everybody was buying it because they thought it was healthier. They let you know because people at that time thought that processed foods were more hygienic. Um and um and they were comforted I think by the the whiteness of it. Um and then also um there was this Thing. I don't know whether it happens in Ireland, right? Then where, because you leached all the nutrients out of the flour, they were then, the breads were then enriched, right? So like Wonder Bread was like enriched by all these vitamins. And I think it's because of Wonder Bread, right? We have like, you know, it's great as sliced bread. Oh yeah. As great as sliced bread. That's yeah. this. <laughs> is it not sliced bread? It is sliced bread, but you know, but it's like, you know, you say something is like as great as sliced bread, right? It's, you know, it's, it's as inventive, it's as novel as sliced bread. Yeah. Yeah. Someone sliced your bread for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Blanca, I wanted to ask you, you touched on just kind of Spanish breads there. So it, there, is there a typical Spanish bread that, you know, I, I, I couldn't certainly think of it when I was when I was thinking about Spain and bread, or is it just so regional that you couldn't say there's one particular bread that is very synonymous with Spain? I think it's very regional. Every region would have different breads in different shapes. I think there's um, there's a lot of emphasis on the shapes and some are cross shape. Some might look like a soda bread or they might look, you know, like a little tiny baguette or huge bread. So, I tend to think that in Spain, because it's so regional, people will say, my favorite bread is hogaza, which looks, it's like a rectangular bread. Or they would say, my favorite bread is mollete, which is the ones in the South. The, the, the dough is so liquidy that you just pour it before you bake it. And that's what you would eat at breakfast. So it's very, very different. But one really fascinating bread about Spain that was invented in 2004 and has traveled all over the world, it's called uh, pan de cristal. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's quite popular in New York in all the Spanish restaurants, but it's a bread that it's uh, very hydrated. So it has a lot of water and the crumb is hu- like every piece of the crumb is huge. So there's not a lot of crumb in it. Do you, do you visualize the bread? 
It's hard to visualize. It's kind of like I, a bread I, I, for people who want to eat air. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, so it's like a... No, it's just a bread that when you look at it, it's almost transparent. That's why it's called tran- mm. cristal. It's glass oh, bread. Okay. And the man who invented it hasn't really shared the recipe. You can buy that bread and kind of bake it in your bakery. But that's a bread that's become extremely popular in in tapas restaurants and and pincho restaurants. And and it's a huge innovation. But I wanted to talk about something that I find very funny about um, Spain and, and the communal oven thing. And obviously there were communal ovens all over the world. But in Spain, they were kind of your hangout place, the place where you would go and see what is de-baking. And because people use stamps, you know, you would be able to see, oh, look, D's bread is terrible or maize bread. Um, <laughs> so it reminded me a little bit of Instagram, you know, like that people would go there and look at their breads and make innovations or look at what rich people were making. And one of Spain's most famous restaurants, Casa Candido in, in Segovia, the the this little boy used to go with his mom to the communal baking ovens and one day he saw the servant bring a suckling pig to the oven because you know if you were rich you could do that um and from there he created this vast like <laughs> restaurant that's become so iconic in Spain where he bakes these um these little suckling pigs, but um, communal ovens were very, very important. And you can see in Spain when you travel that a lot of the streets are called um, like baking oven street, like oven street, like lower oven street. And that's because that was the location of the bread ovens. That's so interesting. I don't think we have that here at all. I've never heard of communal ovens. I know that in some of the monasteries and, and convents that would have bakeries, especially in monasteries, around the country inside them, they would bake bread for villages or towns. But I, I wouldn't have said that they're communal ovens. I think also Blanca, I'm, uh, Margaret Hickey actually addressed this a little bit, right? About the lack of communal ovens in Ireland, because you didn't want your neighbors to be gossiping about how yes. much you had and like what a bad baker you were. And so there was just not communal ovens. Very Irish. That's the disgruntlement there in that. <laughs> it's very Irish. <laughs> and what about, I mean, but Spain has lovely traditions around bread as well. I mean, I know in January past there, you cooked an absolutely or baked an absolutely beautiful uh, king's bread um, or for King's Day, you did the bread and um, the celebration around that. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, that's the bread that we make. Yeah. The, so in Spain, traditionally, there was no Santa Claus and the three kings brought the presents. And as you know, the three kings are in Spain every 6th of January. You have a, a procession where they come out and they give gifts to the to the children. And all the bakeries um, normally make these cakes. But until recently, people bought them. I think people in Spain, the baking uh, craze has really taken off in the last 10 years. But most likely people would have bought it in the past. And they're decorated with crystallized fruits. And it's a yeasted bread. And some people make it with olive oil or butter, depending. Um, it's very sweet. And you fill it with whipped cream. And then you serve it with a very, very thick chocolate. And you put a little, um, like a fava bean or a little toy inside it. So the person who finds it will have luck in the, in the new year. 
Um, it's it's very different to the Galette de Roi, but it's a similar theme of celebrating the arrival of the three kings in in, mm. in Bethlehem. So it's nice, though. I also, Blanca, you mentioned that there's sort of um, there's almost like uh, like erotic representations of bread in Spanish art. Which um, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? I mean, of course, this is something that totally. I just. For Christmas, I got bringing the bringing the tone down, May. Bring the tone down. Sorry, no, it's art and erotic, right? So you know, I'm balancing it. I think um, I got the Dali cookbook for Christmas, which is insane. It is really crazy. I wish I could recreate some of the recipes. I think um, some people have on Instagram and posted the pictures, but one of Dali's. Paint like Dali did a lot of bread painting. I think a lot of painters in Spain have done paintings about bread. If you go to El Prado, all the still lives have some type of bread, whether it's like Velázquez or Luis Melendez. But Dali made a bread that was just—it looks exactly like what you're imagining, and, uh, <laughs> and a very phallic, a very phallic uh, yeah. baguette symbol. <laughs> More than phallic, I think he even has a condom in like it's. But people try and, and and say that, oh, Dali, he was so complex. And you look at that painting and you think, I'm sorry, this is, there's nothing complex about this. This is just, you know. It's a dick pic. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, there's it's a very thing. old, um, elaborate, erotic bread. And it has a clock <laughs> on it. But that's, that's about it. Um, let's not read, let's not attribute other things to this painting. But yeah, no, no, just no. one thing if you love bread and you love these still the still lives i think el prado is a wonderful place to just go go after Where is lunch that, sorry in madrid it's the madrid. Oh, yeah. the most important museum of classical paintings in spain but there's so many food paintings and so many bread paintings it's it's really really interesting and you can do tours with people who will just talk about the food paintings what we I call should- in spanish they're called bodegones and in english they're called still lives yeah, and actually, when you think about still lives in across other countries and in art, there's always bread is always part of still life, um, and has featured even back when I think of Irish uh, monasteries. Again, I know that there's is it Glendalock where there's a stone in one of the windowsills. There is a stone representation of bread, like it's been carved into the windowsill um, of a loaf of like a kind of a, it would be a soda bread shape, uh, or a, like a sourdough, that kind of round, uh, loaf of bread in the windowsill. And it's one of the earliest kind of representations here. So definitely it's featured throughout art in so many different ways. Are there, I mean, I know that they've been doing so many archaeological digs and like finding like bog butter and stuff like that. Do have they found any bread stuff here? I was trying to think, I was trying to think of that and, and, and look into that. I, I'm not sure if they have, I'm sure they must have found some, but I I wonder, does it preserve as well as, as, um, you know, the bog butter and stuff, um, which naturally preserves in, in the bog. So maybe now it's time to kind of bring our discussion forward a little bit and look at modern bread and bakeries here and across the world. And um, we've spoken to uh, Owen Klusky from Bread 41 in Dublin um, about some of those questions around bread making at the moment and where bread is in Ireland. But just before that, I have a quick word from me. 
The Headstuff Network is the largest podcast network in Ireland with something for everyone in their 30-plus shows. Topics range from true crime, food, comedy, social justice, and race. Now, Headstuff is offering the opportunity to become a Headstuff Plus member. Now, what does being a Headstuff Plus member mean exactly? Well, five euros plus fat a month gives you early access to shows, cool merch, and bonus material. Like, what do we three girls really think about vegans? But more importantly, you are showing your support and being an integral part of keeping this community of creative voices alive. For more information, visit headstuffpodcast.com. Owen, thanks so much for joining myself and Blanca um, today. Um, Just wanted to ask you, I suppose, a quick update on how uh, you're doing in Bread 41. You know, it's been a rough year for everybody in the industry. How have you guys evolved um, since opening and taking in the last year as well? Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. It's always a, it's always a pleasure to talk to Dee Laughing and Sidekicks. Um, <laughs> yeah, the last year um, in Bread 41, it's been uh, super eventful. Um, I think, um, how do we evolve? Um, I think since day one, really, when, we, when COVID hit and we closed the doors of the cafe on the 13th of March, um, I sort of had the synopsis that uh, the, the cavalry isn't coming, so you're in this alone. Um, I looked at the business. I looked at the 26 staff I have. I looked at the what I could do, how I could keep it going. I was in the process actually of selling a house and buying a house. Um, so first and foremost, I was like, God, if I close the business, this is going to affect everything else. And, and I'd gone through the rigmarole of doing a lot of paperwork and realizing beyond that, that like how important it is if you own your own business that you're working and how difficult it is to get money and stuff like that. And I've got quite a young family at home. So that came into my mind. And that was actually the first thing is like, God, if, if, if it goes as, as they're saying here, like, you know, the business is gone, it's folding. So I just fought and fought hard and um, pivoted, pivoted the right direction. Um, all in all, we closed for three days. And um, while I got, got my head together, how I could deal with how it could change. I'd really never done much online ordering or stuff like that. But now the online business represents 30% of my business is um, online. It's pre-ordering. Um, and then beyond all that is when you, when you tend to say, listen, I'm, I'm going to stay open and work through this is um, how do you do that in a safe manner? Yeah. Um, that that was the number one question I, I was asking myself is that people were coming and there was, we everything was unknown and it still sort of is, but we know a lot more, you know, like, hand hygiene which i think um people forget in the restaurant industry has is is has been day one number rule anyway so we were, we're always very cautious of our hands washing your hands keeping things clean counters clean stuff like that so that that wasn't that wasn't much of a problem it was more then we got cues dealing with cues and how that did that controlled manner and i suppose it was one we're open other places are closed so it's like are you doing the right thing and listen we just stayed with it and and we, we worked on but it's been good we we kept the community going and the feedback off the general person that that comes to bread 41 is thanks for staying open you're my go-to place for bread and i think that's when when you talk about i own a bakery like i don't own a cafe i own a bakery i produce bread but people come here like they go to a supermarket mm-hmm. so i think that's when we look towards bread and look towards like farmers markets and stuff like that and you look towards the mcnally family even you know people go there to their weekly vegetable grocery shop and that's what they do they don't there's, there's people out there who don't go to high-end supermarkets they go to their local bakery they buy their bread, they go to their local butcher to get their meat and they go to the local veg, go and get their veg. So that's yeah. inevitably what we are. So um, it's been good. It's been difficult at times. Um, listen, we went down from 26. I sat down with the staff and I said, guys, who wants to work and who doesn't want to work? And there's no pressure. Job security's here. And 
11 stayed on so we 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 worked we pulled back the days put back the hours and then um, we're still here and it, it, we're back to full staff and um, we work in sort of pods at the moment so lucky enough with the extension we did it gives us more room more space um to stay together but be apart in, in a sense yeah. Um so so it's been it's been good it's been it's been super challenging it's, it's no listen you can ask anyone in the restaurant industry the pub industry any of that the hospitality industry in general how it's been they'll tell the exact same thing it's difficult um it's just starting and coming in one side and coming out the other and that's what i plan to do yeah mm-hmm. so and that's what tell, us, tell us a bit about the the extension the lab um on that you've just started now or well finished almost i guess now um yeah so it's the concept is to basically from day one i, I like my my true goal actually believe it or not has to be to get everyone to eat um real bread to get people to eat simple bread and, and really realize that something that gives three that has three ingredients gives so much and it doesn't need all this and try tell that story of bread through different channels and so and um, the lab concept was a concept i had where how can i let people see what's going on um, and yeah. with the lab is to try look towards so our goal for probably the last quarter or last six months of this year and um, moving forward to the business to look at alternative sugars and look towards alternative grain organic grain and yeah. to look towards Europe and locally but also Europe and, and look what's going on and how we're growing grain and how the process is there and like how you, I think in food in general um, looking abroad to see what's going on and what guys are doing abroad and through that it's instagram it's like connecting with people so it, the years ago in bread i think it was hard to connect with people but now it's very easy you know so yeah. you're able to see what people are doing how they're growing um and moving more like shifting the business where organic bakery was shifting everything to more like to be using ancient grains and how that people taste and getting people to understand taste and flavors and um, that's what i've tried to do so the lab is actually not to get busier it's to try create a much more um, consistent product and a better product and also a better work-life balance for the staff is to try to give them more room and allow creativity. I think um, one thing since day one, I want the people to be able to work here and get creative. And like we make some amazing stuff as a team and we make some stuff that never works out. It never evolves. And it's trial and error in a sense. And if you can't educate yourself, um, what's the point? Mm. Um, oh, and our episode uh, that we're doing today, it's about international bread. Look yeah. from the perspective of like the Chinese with their steamed breads mm. or the Spanish and the Irish with their soda breads. Can you tell us a little bit about your team and how international it is? And like you're talking already about it, you get a lot of inspiration, but maybe give us some examples of that, of how you draw inspiration from, from different international breads. Well, I suppose when you look at the, 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 the reason I got into bread and the reason I chose to have and to look towards a bakery is I traveled. So I spent a lot of time out of the country um, and anywhere I went to different countries, it was there was always different styles of food. Some people had meat, some people didn't eat meat, some had veg, some had this, but there was always bread on the table. And I was always amazed by, well, even when I was, I was a carpenter when I traveled. So I'd be working in a house of a Lebanese family in Australia and there was a Lebanese style bread. And yeah, and it was just amazing. I was like, it was sweet. And some of it was savory and i was like this is amazing but anywhere i went everyone had bread it, it was just in a different shape or form it was all the same flour water salt maybe some people added some sweetness to it some didn't so that always amazed me and that's inspired me on bread and then we looked at our own culture of what we eat here and it's predominantly soda bread it was and then we now we're all changing and we're eating the industrial pan um 
and I think that that's definitely changed. And in the bakery here, we have um, five five different nationalities in here at the moment. So um, it's been amazing. It's uh, we're actually talking about it. The team might relate here is um, we have a couple of Brazilians working for us, and, and, and it's gas <laughs> because they love sugar. <laughs> They're like, we're going to make do. this bread. But we're going to put a lot of sugar in it. And I'm like, I've been, what's with all this sugar? I've been introduced to cakes for breakfast, and I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely one I'm scratching my head at. Going, this is like um, after a bit more sugar in this, I'm like, I don't think we should put sugar here. But listen, we let up the controllers. We had a girl in here from Sweden who, um, you know, bring on some sweet stuff that they traditionally do and ways they eat, and it's like it's become the her name is Bia. So it's her mum's Swedish, she's actually Irish, but she's actually back in a bakery in Sweden working, and we call it the Bia bun, you know. So it's a caramel bun, so how you put like a, a, essentially a spice to a, to a sweet bread and how that how it reacts. So it's um, yeah, it's the bread world is sort of never ending and it's sort of open channels to our reading. And then we look towards our own, what we do ourselves, and I suppose everyone like. We'd have got, we were lucky enough, uh, pre-COVID, we went over to a guy, a friend of ours in Germany, in Bonn in Germany, Max Krungel, and um, how the Germans eat like a, the rye bread and how I actually love a rye bread. It's actually really, really nice. And um, yeah. but we don't sell enough rye bread. And I think people, definitely the general public, don't maybe understand it. It's, it's heavy, it's dense, and you might consume a lot of it, you'll consume less of it. It's sometimes very moist um, and it's the sourness. So it's it's building... I think initially when we opened the bakery, I was like, I'm going to make sourdough. And then when we, previous experience I had where I started my training as a baker, we had a bread on the shelf and it was called uh, white sourdough. We couldn't sell it, couldn't move it. And then someone came in and said, that's because automatically you think it's sour. So they're saying, just change it. We changed it to great white and we couldn't keep it on the shelf. So it was about wording. This is like, this is 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, making bread and I suppose in terms of in fairness to the bakery we're in you know it was uh, probably sort of the first open bake of its kind you know in, in the country that was trying different things and making sourdough yeah. bread so it's um, yeah I think definitely and culturally and how we look around us like bread is in different shapes different forms and different flavours and how I can deliver that to Bread 41 and, and get people to understand what they're tasting what the flavour is and, and how something doesn't have to be over sour. I think that's where we get lost a bit when you hear sour. You're like, I don't like things sour and it's not sour. It's the palate. You build to a palate. Yeah. So that's what we do. One of the things we also discussed, um, myself, Blanca and May was in this episode was kind of like our own relationship with bread. And I suppose mine is mm. a very traditional Irish one in that like I grew up with the industrial pan at home you know, mm. Brennan's and, and we also had a local bakery called Stapleton's that we used to get great. They use no preservatives, no nothing. It was brilliant, but it was mm. an industrial pan. Um, do you think that an Irish people obviously have a very, a grow for the industrial pan um, still? Mm. Do you think that that's changing now, like with the introduction of so many bakeries, independent bakeries around mm. and people like yourselves who are trying to just make sure people understand the difference? Do you think that that's mm. changing Oh, I do. I think. I think. Like when you look at bread and, and food in general, it's forever changing. I think that um, you know, people are starting to understand that maybe something that stays fresh for seven to nine days isn't that good for you. And I think when you start to question why, what is making that stay fresh for that amount of days, you start asking what's in it. You know, and I think we're looking towards food more often. Listen, we all we all know about um the what's that kill that weed killer that's you know has round up you know that scandal in america oh, yeah. with the spraying this constant spraying of pesticides you know we're all start going look towards our health and i think definitely even in the pandemic i think one thing you, you listened to you heard the stories of everyone buying local seasonal veg went off yeah. the wall went off the charts and realized what we have 
in a box or what we can get locally is quite amazing that, you know, this is grown locally, it's seasonal, you can have it. So we're looking towards that element of it. I think, yeah, the relationship with bread for me growing up, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a house where, where bread was was first and foremost, but it was it was it was wholemeal uh, soda bread. That's what it was. And sometimes when you tell people that, like, oh God, so soda bread isn't that good for you, they're like, what do you mean? You can't say that. You're Irish. You're saying soda bread is not good for you. I'm like, well, it's actually zero fermentation, so you stick it in the oven and it's ready thirty minutes later. Now it is delicious. I'm not saying it's not delicious, <laughs> um, but it necessarily mightn't be the most healthiest bread. And I think definitely, definitely one thing I would say about the the culture in Ireland is we look at things in brown and white. So we automatically think just because something's brown, it's good for you. If it's white, it's bad for you. Where I always say to people, look at the process, not the color. Mm-hmm. So it's um, like white bread isn't naturally bad for you. I'd rather eat a white sourdough than a white industrial pan. Um, obviously, I'd rather eat a white sourdough than a brown industrial pan. Yeah. Um, so it's um, looking towards more. Glyphosate was, was the name of the yeah glyphosate yeah yeah, yeah absolutely horrific killer, stuff yeah. yeah 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 horrific stuff and, and a lot um, of the breads that are made would be with the wheat would have been sprayed with that wouldn't it yeah totally yeah sprayed yeah. and then it was coming through and they were when you were eating you could still it's funny they would still test you and you could still have it in it isn't the problem is that glyphosate sprayed it's going down to our water systems and then it's coming through either way so you're looking at like the organic culture and i remember a good friend of mine when Darina allen was talking about um coming along the road you're driving in the country roads and all of a sudden you see this yellow grass at the side of the paths and she's like why is this instead of they're not they're encouraging the hedgerow hedgerow to grow they're spraying it with weed killer just for yeah just why not keep the curbs clean they want to keep the concrete clean so yeah. it's like spray all them wonderful wildflowers that the bees can live on with glyphosate so when you mentioned Darina there we had her on at Christmas she was amazing as well she was just so yeah, fantastic I know that you worked in Ballymaloo and yeah. like you you did the course and stuff down there but what was it like? I mean, from th- what was it like learning from them how to make from Myrtle and Darina how to make bread? Yeah, it was, it was fabulous. Them. You know, it really was. I think I definitely learned a lot. And it was actually Tim, um, Darina's husband, that would have spurred me on to uh, make a lot of bread. And we, we had a great relationship. Darina will give out to me once she hears I'm, I'm giving out about soda bread. She says, I can't say that <laughs> yeah. all the time. Soda bread um, is sacred to Darina. Yeah, to most Irish Darina. people. Well, I think, I, think, I think the thing with soda bread is, and definitely comes from that, is I, I would genuinely believe anything that comes out of your oven at home, it's better than here from the body. So that's first yeah. and foremost about the rule of bread is like, and I think uh, soda bread is a great introduction to bread. Once you can make that, and we're humans who want to know, want to do the hard stuff first, want to take the, the stabilizers off the bike and just cycle the bike instead of trying the easy things and getting a love for it and a passion for it. And with passion, as anyone will tell you, that's where it all starts. Once yeah. you have passion for something, a little bit of hard work and the rest is easy. Um, but Darina, learning off the guys was amazing. Yeah, it was really, really, it was um, it was an experience I'd encourage every, anyone to have, but they really have a true love for food. And I think um, sometimes outside eyes might not understand that, but when you're there and listen, I always say a good story, Darina was, we went out one, uh, one late night fishing and we were coming in, we caught some mackerel and we were coming in, um, like sort of in, the, in pretty loud, tumbling down the sort of walkway and Next thing, Darina opens the window in her nightgown. What's going on? What are you doing? Like, it was like being, you can't do that. You're being bold. And I was like, oh, God, it's Darina. And she's, what have you got there? And I was like, fish. Scared the life. And I was like, fish. Just wait there. And like came down the stairs. Next thing you know, she's in good and fish with you. Going, this is how you yeah. do it. So the, the true love for food is in that woman. And um, yeah, fortunate enough to, to have chats with Merkel. And that's that resounding thing I often say, Merkel said to me, and, and I, I, I'm a big believer of it. Um, two things she said to me was if everyone knew how to grow a carrot we wouldn't stop and tell them 
And the next thing she said is anyone involved in any sort of food or anything to do with food should and must spend at least three months growing food. So if we understood how difficult it is to grow something, and um, we wouldn't be so wasteful. And um, that's yeah. something definitely at Bread Forty One that I encourage all the staff. It's the the same Ballymaloo thing. Everyone does a does compostable bags here. They're all clear, so I can see what's in them. And um, I'm that weird person that turns them upside down and shakes them out to see what's in it. Shouldn't be in it. And um, definitely that works both ways. You're helping the environment. You're keep working towards a zero waste concept, and um, also it saves money. And this is where you take tell people if you can keep your kitchen tight and tidy and using every little bit of an ingredient how you save money and that helps the bigger picture definitely so owen um this is going to be the last question okay i want to know what are your favorite breads and also what are the breads that you think are going to become more popular in the next years in ireland um my favorite bread is actually a, uh, it's a fermented oat bread um it definitely is it's one um, i was fortunate enough to spend some time in san francisco it was uh, like it's an overnight oat, really, really tasty and um, nice organic oats um, from the wonderful Ireland. Um, and uh, we just ferment the oats no different than you would with like overnight oats. So it's just with a water fermented over 24 hours. And then it's just folded gently back through um, our, our basic country recipe, which would have um, 40% white and see, at the moment has 60% um, organic spelt flour from the wonderful guys in Oak Forest Mills. So that's milled in, that's grown in Kildare and it's milled in Kilkenny. Um, so we just add that back through. So a lot of our breads have a basic, basic recipe. Um, and then from the basic recipe, we add um, inclusions. So inclusions can be different things that are in seasonal. Um, at the moment, we have um, like a fermented chili bread um, and it's really, really popular. And that's really nice to hear. So it's like a chili and Hegarty's cheddar. Um, and it's just really, really good. And I was like, I don't know if people like this. And then all of a sudden it's become massive. We have um, the Oak Forest Mill spelt with like a flaxseed. That's going really, really good. And um, breads come on... I think, yeah, I think, listen, bakeries is what's coming. It's like, um, definitely the, it's, it's, if you're looking down the road, we should be going seeing the baker, the butcher, the baker and the beer maker. So understanding who these guys are and having a conversation, I said, is if you come into the bakery, even to see me, it's like, what would you recommend? It's like, I think sometimes we walk into places and we put our head down, we just pick up what's closest and we're afraid to open that line of communication. And more so now than ever, we're communicating through mobile devices, no different than we are here today. And, we're around Zoom meetings, around Teams meetings, around this and that. But like when things get normal again, it's been able to keep them conversations going as a face-to-face manner. So if you come to the bakery and you have a question about bread, it's been able to ask that question. And also it's been able to get that question answered. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's the same way with a butcher. If you go into a butcher shop and you should say to the butcher, what, or what's that? And he should be able to explain to you and explain what a dish is. And it's what I'd said to you before, D, with the veg boxes. And I was really passionate about seeing all these people buying the veg. And then I was noticing just through Instagram and watching what people were doing is everyone wanted this veg box, but sometimes they didn't know what that veg looked like or what it was. And mm-hmm. they were afraid to ask. So I was saying to people, oh, if you're doing a veg box, a real nice idea to link in with a chef. If you don't know what you can do with that, like simple things that we might see simple that other people won't. Like you look at a celeriac. And people are like, oh, it's, it's weird. What is this? And I've seen these questions coming up and, and beetroot. And it's I'm not knocking anyone's knowledge of food. Food is for everybody. So we should have an open conversation. We should get around the big table and understand how we can, yeah, like different, exactly what you're doing with the podcast, explaining about breads that are all over the world and different cultures are in Ireland. And listen, we have a great opportunity to link in. It's something that I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, going to link in with Jess and Kai. We spoke about this quite a bit um, about looking towards the 
as as I would say, the the, the direct provision centers of like we have these wonderful people in these direct provision centers who are cooks, who are chefs, who have restaurants. How we can say to these guys is, can you teach me? And I can give you a job. I can employ you and let me learn off you. Like put this, like what is this? And this is the open conversation, the bigger conversation we all need to have around food and understanding of food and how it's grown, how we cook it, how it's eaten. And it's, I think for a long period of time, chefs said this thing where it's a secret. There should be no secrets in food. Food is for everybody. If someone emails me and says, hey, I like your your croissants and can I have the recipe? I'm like 100%. God, it's not the recipe. It's the process. Yeah, <laughs> when I yeah. say it takes three days to make, they're like, oh God. And it's the same with bread. We had a great initiative in lockdown one where we decided, listen, let's just give everyone free starter. And we gave away the bread, a kilo of flour and a starter. We get three and a half thousand away. In this lockdown now, we've given it nearly four and a half to 5,000 people starters. Now I was starting to think people are just getting it because it's free. And then all of a sudden, then people were calling me out. They were sending me pictures on Instagram. They were like, look at my bread. And that to me was people spending time at home, forced to spend time at home, but getting back to baking, getting back to cooking, getting to get their hands in food, teaching the younger generation. You're in food. You, you have a passion for food now. D is a passion for food. But that all came somewhere along the line. Someone cooked with you. Yeah. Spent yeah. time with you, you know, and that's hopefully we can get back to that. Wow. Uh, Owen is amazing, isn't he? He's just so inspiring and vocal and passionate. Um, every time I speak to him, I just seem to get um, inspired and motivated. He's just doing so much in Bread 41 and I think doing a lot for Irish bread as well and for people, you know, people's impression of what it is and, and getting people to make it and to go out and buy it from their local bakeries. Do you have a are like a local bakery that you always go to me or are you a bread 41er? I'm a bread 41er when I'm, um, when I'm podcasting at head stuff with you guys, um, because I'm also really lazy. Um, and I actually, you know, I have this personal fondness for this really traditional bakery that's around the corner from my house. And it's just called, I think it's called Dublin bakery. And it's run by, again, it's like this idea of like baking as machismo. It's like run by these two tattooed guys, um, and, you know, and they're always, you know, like knee deep and they're always elbow deep, not knee deep, but elbow deep in their, you know, in their, in their Knee flower. deep would be quite radical. Knee deep would be very radical, but they're like always elbow deep, like, and, you know, shaping and this, that, and the other. And like, you know, and sometimes I think, you know, like if they're, if they, they've got a cigarette, they're always smoking outside. Um, and they're, you know, and their breads are incredibly traditional. They do, um, the turnovers, basic white bread, soda breads, and they're absolutely delicious, but I just love it. Cause I just feel like it's like kind of traditional Dublin. Um, and that's where, honestly, that's where I will go for my bread, like my daily bread. And we eat a lot of bread in this house. Yeah. You were saying that, uh, having married an Irish man, you just realized how much. Good Lord. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he eats a lot of bread. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Loaf a day, if you could. I think that's pretty common. I think a lot of people, I think Irish people eat a lot of bread. You know, it's not surprising that there's been a resurgence of kind of bakeries and, you know, independent bakeries around the country, which is so great to see. I mean, um, for me, there's so many in Dublin. I mean, you know, from Aaron to Scale, uh, obviously bread 41, which you've mentioned, uh, the bretzel bakery, 
um, but also uh, bakeries like um, Camerino Bakery on Capel Street, uh, Corinna Camerino, who set that up. She's I know that she was one of the first places I knew to get Jewish bread. You can get challah bread there. Um, that's from her background. Um, and you have more newer bakeries as well, like No Messin Bakery, um, who do, they invented the, the Cardi B, which was just like revolutionized my year last year and has revolutionized my life, which is a, a kind of a morning bun, which has cardamom. It's sugar, a sugar cardamom sugar glaze on top of it. And it's a knotted morning bun. It's absolutely divine. Um, but yeah, like the Cupcake Bakery, um, Cupcake Bloke Bakery, um, the Farmhouse Bakery on, on Nace Road as well. There's just so many to mention in Dublin. I mean, that's just a few, but there's every, in every local neighborhood now, there is a bakery popping up, um, which is really great to see. So I just, and I think during lockdown now, I mean, it's just worth mentioning to anyone listening that to make sure and check out if what's your, who your local bakery is or where it is and if they're delivering at the moment if you can't get out um it's great to support local anyway to shop local um and help support independent shops and you'll find that you usually get i found when i got some bread deliveries um sometimes they sneak in a free sweet treat which is always nice to get things like that so and at the markets you'll see the markets around dublin around the country you'll there'll always be um a baking stall still i think um so it's, it's really good to see I also, I'm really entranced by the number of sort of ethnic, I, I want yes. to say ethnic bakeries that are uh, popping up um, mm-hmm. in Dublin. And so I always get my Simit from Ayla. Oh, I love Ayla. Oh, Ayla. And like, and they actually, they will, they bake like four times a day. So everything is incredibly fresh and they have the Simit, which I find is more satisfying than any bagels that I get, but it's like the bagel-like. Um, it's you know, it's, um, yeah. it's a Turkish explain to anyone. It's a Turkish bakery on Cape Street that me yes. and I are both avid fans of. <laughs> um, and, uh, and they do this, um, it's a ring shaped bread, um, which, um, it's an explained to me. It's usually, you know, it's, it's just a snack bread and it's coated in sesame seeds and it is divine. Yeah. Um, it's very bagel like it's very it's bagel like it's the most bagel like it's yeah, yeah but for me it's the because it's it's got that chew which I feel yeah. like is yeah. missing from a lot of Irish bagels so I will eat a simmet with like cream cheese and salmon um and that gives me my bagel fix um I also think that there's um there's some kind of you can get some kooky Chinese breads now um especially um there's a bakery called Holly Len um, and they supply to Rong's and Asia market, but all of these sort of milk breads, you've got cocktail buns and pineapple buns and custard buns yes. and hot dog buns. And, um, and Rong's probably has the highest turnover and pork floss buns. And, and that again, they're mostly Hong Kong, but that, um, when I'm homesick, I will go to them. I think you can get so many different breads. Um, I love going to Pinoy Sari Sari, the Filipino shop, um, and they get these beautiful, fun, really fun breads from a bakery called Gold Ribbon on Dorset Streets. And because they're written, because Filipinos use a lot of Spanish words, they're written in Spanish. So I'm able to easily find out what they are. But I especially love the pan de sal and the pan de coco. And they also have an ensaimada, which is similar to a Mallorca one, 
made with uh, with cheese. The Mallorcan one doesn't have cheese, but I think there's so much uh, in terms of breads from all over the world, and we tend to think, oh, there isn't, but th- there is a wide variety of places with very exciting breads, and I think. We talked in the Christmas episode about uh, pan de jamón, which is the bread that Venezuelans have at Christmas. And I'm really look- looking forward to trying um, it's the baked goods from Monami. They're Mon Ami, based in... That's it, sorry, yeah, the name of the Venezuelan bakery, yeah, Monami. Even in the sort of the late night kebab shops or in Zaytun, where yes. they have like 10 door ovens and they make these naan slash pita on site. I mean, this just blew my mind. Mm. That you can have these readily available and they're delicious. Yeah. And there's a, I, I used to live up um, in Dolphin's Barn and there's a, a, I mean, I don't like, it's just people would, it's just people wouldn't think it, but like you're saying, it's a, it's called the curry and grill and it's just a place you can get kind of Persian, but also Indian, but Chinese. I don't know. There's just a, so, such a mix of, um, cuisines from it but they have their own tandoor oven so I used to go in and get um naans in there but it was like flatbreads but you just wait for them and they'd you know if I was having friends over and I had maybe slow cooked like a lamb or something like that to make our own kind of kebabs at home um with with side dishes and things and I'd go and get the breads and just they would make them for me uh, bake them for me there and then bring them back and like you said the quality of them was just so amazing it reminds me there's a also a Syrian um bakery as well in Cork do you guys right. know it's, it? it's um is that like Mohammed uh Gami's place right yes. I think yes. yeah yeah I'm dying to try that out mm. um and the one thing, though, that I really want and I don't think is in Ireland right now and that I miss very much, um, from, especially from being in California, is somewhere that makes fresh tortillas. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's <laughs> fresh tortillas. Yeah, fresh I know. tortillas. Like, it's like it's something that you take for granted when you're in California. You're like fresh you corn grow. tortillas or wheat? Fresh, fresh corn tortillas. Okay. Yeah. Do you know? Which is the bread just, of Latin America. Which is the bread of, Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can get, I mean, obviously there are, I mean, Lily Ramirez is doing in, in Picado, um, you know, Blanco Nino and Tipperary, but I, 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 I know that there's, but there's nowhere doing fresh. Like you there's can't. nowhere doing fresh. Yeah. That, at the moment. And that's just something that I long for. So if anyone is listening and wants to open up a place <laughs> that makes fresh tortillas, <laughs> Guys, the guys from Sabanero Cheese in Galway, last time I talked to them, they were planning on opening up a tortilleria in Dublin. So we'll need to check back with them. That would be my fantasy food (laughs) adventure at this point. (laughs) And I know that a lot of of the halal shops in Dublin are great places to get uh, flatbreads as well. And it's usually places that you'll find smaller, like Syrian or... Libyan or something bakeries that are just starting off that they will make breads for them locally. So they're great places to go and get them as well. And there is a Polish bakery that, um, that I think supplies to Moldova and, um, and some of the, and the Polneski. Um, and I, they make babka. Do you guys know what babka is? Which again is a very New York thing where it's, um, it's sort of a bread that is also like with chocolate, like there's like a bread dough and there's a chocolate bread dough and it's rolled up and it's quite heavy and you slice it and it's absolutely divine. And so I can get, yeah, I can get Bobka here now. Mm. 
it's it's also sort of a cornerstone of Jewish baked goods. Well, I mean, I think we should end it there, but I think that this 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 episode has definitely just made me. I literally just want to go and get some fresh bread. Carb, I mean, carb load, carb overload. Today is going to be a bread day, which is a good day all around. So, um, yay! If you like what you heard or better yet have a question or response or comment to anything that we said today we really want to hear from you so please contact us at instagram at spice bags pod twitter as well as the same spice bags pod or you can email us at spice bags pod at gmail.com this show is part of the head stuff podcast network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.